As we have been doing, um, we've been asking some questions of, of scientists in our midst. I'm going to ask George in just a minute, George Harrison, to come and answer a few questions about science and how he, see, he sees things. As you know, George plays the bass guitar, plays many guitars, sings, is a rugby player, but he's also a mathematician. And I know something about George that he's fascinated in, and I thought that this series would be good to hear more about his fascination with pie. I don't mean pies, scotch pies, Morrison's, I mean pie as 3.141527? Nearly. Um, 3.1415296 is about as far as I can remember. Is that right, Steve? Put your hand up if you've heard of Pi, the number. Oh, that's great. Hands down. Um, there's a, I, was, I can't remember where we were one time. There was a second-hand bookshop, and I went in, and I found this book called The Joy of Pi. Seriously, The Joy of Pi. And it had Pi to a million decimal places. And it, Numbers have always fascinated me. The reason I became a maths teacher is because I, I, I do just love numbers. And that trick that you play when you're small of, you know, what's the biggest number you can count? So I remember being in the playground, being maybe seven or eight years of age, and we start, one, two, three, four, 99, 999. And you keep going, and you think, right, what is the biggest number you can get to? And I really like the idea of proof, because it's easy to prove that there is no biggest number, because you say, think of the biggest number you can, and then, of course, you can add one and make it bigger. So that's a very simple way of proving, proving something. So when I first heard about this, this magical number pi that starts 3.14, and the teacher said, and then it goes on forever, I was like, what do you mean it goes on forever? Like, how can we prove that? I said, well, you know, when you're older, you'll find out, son. And so that was sort of set me on a journey of trying to find out um, the proof. Because what I really like about pi is that when you do a bit of physics, you find this number crops up um, in the way a pendulum swings. You do a bit of statistical analysis, you find pi cropping up in normal distributions. Then you, you do a, some other work somewhere else, field theory in, um, no, field equations in general relativity, is that right, Steve? It's got pi cropping up in it. And then you do some electricity work and pi crops up again. And, and I started thinking of it a bit like a, like a maker's stamp, right? Whenever sort of God wants mathematicians or scientists to know, you know, I was there first, <laughs> pi crops up. Well, I could go on, but I, sh I shan't. George has gone on at quite length to me about this, and if you want to hear it afterwards, feel free. It's, it's fascinating. It is certainly for the first ten minutes. Um, George mentioned proof. Um, as a Christian, George, we live in a scientific age that says we need the evidence for that. You Christians believe in fairy stories. It's pie in the sky when you die kind of stuff. For us as Christians, how do we respond? What for us is evidence? Um, I've always been really interested in what people's understanding is of things like atoms and subatomic particles. Because have you ever seen an electron? Have you ever seen a muon or a lepton or a quark? But you might have a plasma TV at home that works on the basis of somebody's theory about what's going on. So we believe that it works because we can see the evidence before us that it works without necessarily understanding or having had, had it proved to us that it does work. So um, as a mathematician, quite often what we look at are what are your initial assumptions? What are the axioms that you're starting from? What are the things that you are saying um, you can't prove that are your basis then for proving lots of other things? And so 
when a mathematician prevent, uh, presents a theory or presents their ideas to someone, they say, right, I've just proved something. What a lot of people are interested in are, well, what were the assumptions that you made in proving that? And so um, linking that to theology in a way, I guess, is I, I think of... Um, the, the, is it possible, I mean, I'm kind of preempting a question that comes up, is it possible to prove God's existence absolutely? And I'll answer that the best I can from, from what I know in a moment. I would say that there is definitely evidence that, that God exists and works in our lives um, through the people that we meet, through the relationships that we have with other people that try to model um, the kind of relationship. I mean, I as a father, with my children, understand what unconditional love is, um, feeling that towards my children. And I feel that that is evidence of something much greater than that. that that's helpful, George. What about, still as evidence, the scientific approach to, to faith? Should we then test our faith? I mean, maybe we just um, we unthinkingly accept God's there and we just sit with that happily. But actually, is, is that right? Is that, is that healthy? Is that well-balanced? Or should we be looking to test our faith? If God is the, the electrical current that, that charges our lives, that brings life... Should we be, how, how can we be asking proof of God's existence or engaging with God in that kind of dynamic way? People have tried. Um, um, Rene Descartes, do you know Rene Descartes? A famous French uh, mathematician, philosopher, um, I think therefore I am, was a huge long essay where he, he tried to prove mathematically the existence of, of God. And, and people sort of try, um, try to do that. And there's a sense in which um, what I love about maths is that the higher you, you, you kind of go with it and the deeper you go, what's interesting isn't what the answer is, right? Two add three is five. That's not very interesting. The point is that two add three has an answer. So the questions that we ask as mathematicians tend to be, can I answer this question? If I can answer it, can I actually find out what the answer is or can I not know the answer and still know that it's answerable? It's a, a Donald Rumsfeld with his rather silly phrase that actually was spot on about known unknowns and unknown knowns and that sort of thing. That, that's really what the key of mathematical proof is. It's, sometimes you can say, can this be proved? Yes. Do we know what the proof is? No. Does that matter? Well, we know it can be proved, so we'll accept the fact that it can be proved. I think you're saying is that faith is worked out, but there will always be an aspect of faith we'll never understand. But it's, is it our job in our age to argue the case as far as we can and then accept... Is, is that God of the gaps? Well, there's a... Free will, if, if you believe in free will, creates um, a dilemma in terms of proof because there are things that I have to accept. I have to decide that I accept them. I have to, I have to say to myself, I choose Jesus, I choose God, and I'm, I make a conscious decision That's to do that. That's your presumption. That's one of you, as yeah. you said earlier. So in terms of an point. axiom, my starting point is I've made that choice. If, if I decide at the beginning God doesn't exist, then I can frame an argument that has an internal logic and that is self-supporting and self-sustaining. And I can then... Um, quite often, um, the, the I'm thinking of being in the classroom. I'll have, I'll have somebody, I'm showing them how to factorize a quadratic equation. And they decide that my method is, is too long and it's too difficult. So they come up with their own way of doing it. And then they say, right, I can do it this way, it's much easier. And I say, but it's wrong. <laughs> and they say, yeah, but it's easier. And so they've, they've got a self-sustaining logic. And I can see perfectly well what they're thinking. And I'm saying, but, you know, the point is your starting point was the wrong place. 
And if you start with that as your axiom, as your core thing that you can't prove, and that's your starting point, then you will tie yourself up in knots and end up with the wrong answer. You seem to be saying then, George, that as you look at the world around, the answer won't necessarily be God. But you're saying maybe with the lens of faith, if you start with Jesus Christ, then you begin to see the, you know, the lens of faith makes the pattern come into shape as opposed to looking at creation or a bit of both? I think um, the, the, the framework, the pair of glasses that we use to, to read the world around us or the language that we use to read the world around us then very much influences how we see and interpret the world. I'll give you a, um, a, a mathematical analogy. which The Romans, you know your Roman numerals, right? V plus II equals VII, right? It's very good for doing adding, very poor for doing long division. Okay, try it. Go home and try it. So the Romans weren't good at doing long division. And if you can't do long division, there's a whole load of maths problems that you simply can't understand or interpret. So they just didn't go there. Hindu mathematicians, you know, had zero. They had place value. They were able to write their numbers in a different way. They were able to see and interpret the world in a much more clear way because they had a different set of tools for looking at the world. And so... Sometimes, um, you know, if you've got your black and white spectacles on, then the world looks black and white. You put your colour goggles on, all of a sudden there's a lot of richness there that maybe you weren't able to see before. George, I want to finish by asking a question, and I'm my last question, but if, again, like last week, if there's one or two questions that you've been thinking of, George is sitting in this seat now, it's a chance to kind of ask that question. My final question is the one I asked to finish with, with Steve as well. Are we just crazy here? Have we opted for, for faith um, and, and it's just, it's just our, it's our preference. It's our, is there any way that um, it's reasonable to believe in God in our scientific age? Can you say that it's reasonable to believe in God? There are so many things in science that are considered valid and true that actually it's very unreasonable to, to think about. Um, the idea that matter is mostly composed of nothing, yet I can sit on a chair that's solid doesn't make sense. In maths, I, I think of things like um, calculus. Those of you that have done calculus, you are, you are made to think about things that are infinitesimally small, so small that you can't measure them, and it's impossible to measure them. But if I add up lots and lots of those things, they make sense. And so there are sort of leaps of um, intuition that we have to do um, in science, in maths, that are equally that are there in terms of um, do I believe that there is a God? Do I believe that God influences me and my life and, and works, works in the world? And so I, sometimes it's, it's to do with the tools that we, we use for trying to think about these things. I think it's perfectly, perfectly reasonable with, and consistent to believe, to believe in a creator God. Thank you, George. That's very helpful. That's, thank, thank you for sharing those insights. Now, has anybody on hearing that just sparked off something you've been wondering about for a long time? Um, or in the light of what George is saying, any questions for, for George? This reminds John me of my Don, year 10 class I have. Any questions? Nope. I take that, the hard thing is it's job done, perhaps, there's no questions. Um, mathematical equations, and you got a really tricky one for him, Steve? You know, kind of. Square root of one. Is one. Or minus one. Square root of minus. Is I. <laughs> He's Thank handing me the mic now before you go any further. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> That's a, that's a good one, actually. Um, thank you for bringing that up. Um, 
the square root of minus one for a lot of people didn't make any sense at all because they didn't have the faculty to, to understand it as a concept because they were used to a number line that went left to right. Yeah, those of you that got primary school kids know about this now because it's number lines is how they're kind of teaching it low down. Um, and someone had the bright idea, actually, well, we've got one going that way. Let's do another one going up that way. And all of a sudden, we can start putting things on there like, the square root of minus one, and they discovered they could solve a whole load of problems using that. The problem with that was that they decided to call them imaginary numbers, which causes all sorts of problems for, for teaching students. They say, well, if it's imaginary, does it really exist? And I have to say, yes, it does exist. It's just someone's picked a particularly poor word to describe something that is actually there. I think we're going a bit far beyond. Um, my brain's beginning to hurt, so maybe it's time to pray. Um, I think it's time to pray, folks. Can we show our appreciation to George for his sharing with us?